Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Mike Tushman is a Baker Foundation professor, Paul R. Lawrence Professor Emeritus, and faculty chair of the Advanced Management Program, or AMP program, at Harvard Business School. He is also a founding director of ChangeLogic, a Boston-based strategic advisory firm. I overlapped for a year with him at Columbia Business School, and his work has profoundly impacted my thinking and contributed to the body of work around strategy and organization. Of particular note are the congruence model, which is an enormously influential framework for mapping strategy with organization and culture, and the ambidextrous organization, which is of particular relevance today as organizations struggle with the rapid pace of disruption. He is internationally recognized for his work on the relations between technological change, executive leadership, and organizational adaptation, and for his work on innovation streams and organizational design. Mike is an active business consultant and educator, working with CEOs and senior teams around the world. Mike leads several of Harvard Business School's premier learning opportunities for executives. In addition to AMP, he is the faculty co-chair of Leading Change and Organizational Renewal and is a former faculty chair of the Professional Leadership Development Program. He also teaches on the Harvard Business School Business Analytics Program, which was Harvard's first online-only program. Mike's publications include Lead and Disrupt, Winning Through Innovation, both with Charles O'Reilly, and Corporate Explorer, How Corporates Beat Startups in the Innovation Game, which he co-authored with Andy Bins. In this episode, he describes how to structure a company so that it can simultaneously exploit your current business and explore new businesses, why it's so critical that you think about your firm's identity and purpose, and why the greatest barrier to your ability to innovate may be dealing with identity threats. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Tushman. Mike, thank you so much for spending some time to talk to us and share your work with us. Just to give the audience a chance to get to know you a little bit personally, I'd love if you would complete the sentence for me. If you really know me, you know that. If you really know me, you really know that I'm passionate about my research on innovation, leadership, punctuated change. And I'm passionate about teaching. I'm passionate about engaging my students in both personal transformation and organizational transformation. And I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. Excellent. Thank you for doing that and for teaching us here. I ask this question of every guest, and I never get the same answer. What is your definition of strategy? Kaihan, my definition of strategy, and I know there are a lot of strategy types in the audience, my definition of strategy is a positional definition of strategy is what places to compete in and how are we going to compete and how are we going to differentiate ourselves. But I also needle my strategy colleagues, and I have many wonderful strategy colleagues, is that it's half the game. Everyone's got a great strategy these days. I want to link strategy to execution. My definition of strategy, Kaihan, is both knowing what to do and doing it. And I actually think the knowing part is relatively easy. The doing part, particularly in incumbent organizations, is super difficult. And maybe we'll be able to talk about that in this session. Great. Yeah, it'd be great to untangle that. 
there's a phrase that I repeat often. I don't even know where it's from, but vision without action is a daydream, but action without vision is a nightmare. And I think you definitely need both. Yeah. What got you originally interested in strategy? I have a background as an electrical engineer, Kaihan, and my mental model back when I was a student, an undergraduate, was an organization filled with smart engineers and scientists could outcompete anybody. And I was working at the world's greatest test equipment company. And while I was there, it promptly failed. And I've been grappling with how can it be that a bunch of brilliant scientists and engineers could fail in the face of technical change? My new book with Charles O'Reilly and my next book with Charles and Andy are around what I have learned and my students have learned and my field has learned about what I'm going to call today dynamic capabilities. All right. So I want to get into dynamic capabilities, but to set that up, could you tell us of the work that you have introduced into the lexicon of strategy? What would you say as of now has been most adopted or well-received? Thank you for that question, Kaya. I don't want to be boastful here, but Dave Nadler and I built a model, this congruence model, which we really started at Columbia on how to think about how and why organizations work the way they do. That is one major contribution that Dave and I started about what we call now organizational architecture and the linking between strategy and organizational architecture in driving organizational outcomes. That's one piece of work that I'm super proud of. I remember we overlapped at Columbia by about a year. I was a student and there was one professor, Bob Bontempo, and he really drilled into us the congruence model. Could you describe it for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And then I'll go back to fully answering the question. The congruence model is a way to think about the architectural tools that leaders have to execute the strategy. And we talk about processes and structure, which Charles, David, and I call the hardware of a firm, and capabilities and culture, which we call the software of the firm. And basically what the congruence model is, is a way to think about getting the hardware and the software of a firm aligned to the firm's strategy. Great strategy, poorly executed, terrible Lousy strategy, well-executed, terrible, but getting them both right, fantastic strategy and fantastic execution is what I do. And this notion of hardware and software, for those strategy people in the audience, my experience with your boss and your boss's boss and your peers is that they're hardware types. You know, they focus on processes and structure and metrics and systems, and they lose the software stuff. And what Charles and I and David and I have been talking about for years is it's not that software is more important than hardware, but it's not less important. And to think about a set of architectural tools, my experience with CEOs and general managers is that they're over-hardwared, if you will, and less software, if you will. And the congruence model is a set of tools that can be used to well-execute strategy. Got it. And it shows there's a interdependence between all four of those spheres, right? Totally, totally, totally. And then, of course, lock into strategy. The methodology starts with what the heck is your strategy? How are you going to compete? And then what are the pieces of work you got to get done and the interdependencies? And now build a system. Yes. So then I guess that leads naturally to the concept of the ambidextrous organization and that you kind of lay out at least a structural framework to allow for different types of jobs to get done. Could you tell us what you mean by ambidextrous organization? 
This notion of ambidexterity, Kaihan, in order to play in this innovation stream space, and Jim March had this notion of building organizations that can both exploit their existing strategy better than anybody in the world and explore into new spaces simultaneously. This notion of explore and exploit is core to my work with Charles on ambidexterity. And what we observe that in order to execute these inconsistent strategies simultaneously, is you've got to build multiple organizational architectures, multiple congruence models, if you will, that are themselves internally inconsistent. And what holds that together is an overarching strategy with an overarching identity of who we are and what we do. What we mean by ambidexterity is you split the past from the future. That's high differentiation. Targeted integration with the stuff to leverage. That is, if there's nothing to leverage, you spin the explorer off. Really strong senior team integration. My experience with ambidexterity is the structure is pretty trivial. <laughs> you just split the past with the future. I believe that targeted integration is simple. You leverage capabilities across the firm. But in order for this to work, you need to have a senior team that can deal with tension, that can deal with conflict, that can deal with paradox. And oftentimes, the reason ambidextrous structures fail is because the senior team cannot deal with the paradox and tensions and contradictions associated with both exploiting and exploring simultaneously. So I would beg the strategy types in the room to help your colleagues attend to inconsistent strategies simultaneously in service of the overarching identity and help their colleagues deal with tension in the room. Because if that is not there, exploit always kills explore. Because exploit is where the profit is and where the scale is, right? Interesting. So what you're saying is the ambidexterity at the individual level, the ability to flip between these two approaches, that needs to be held at the senior level and you kind of protect at the business unit level. And so you might have different subcultures, substructures. That's exactly right. The key notion, you just nailed it, Kaihan. Let me just talk about HBS. At HBS, I have the honor to run our advanced management program. And I'm on campus and I'm like, I'm running this program where we're experimenting an online digital education is in a completely different, you know, it's like a mile off campus and it's run with a different architecture and it's run with a different faculty team. And eventually we're going to explore our way into the future in executive education. And my program will be completely different. And by the way, I won't be running it. So you have some pieces of the organization exploiting, some pieces exploring, and the tension is in the senior team, is with the dean and me and Kareem. Kareem Lakani was a key member of what was then called HBX. So that's where the tension is. It's not in HBX and it's not in AMP. It's with the three leaders who hold that tension. So then I just want to kind of drill down on the leadership. I've gotten to interact also with Bharat Anand, who was also involved with HBX. And he writes a whole chapter on the creation of HBX in his book, The Content Trap. So let me take that idea. And then there's another chief strategy officer I was talking to, actually based there in Boston. And she's struggling with this because the leadership, the committee that defines resource allocation, they grew up in the exploit And so when they look at these startups activity, what they're looking at is they're looking at an ROI that can prove profitable in two years and they don't understand. And so how do you develop or find the leaders that are able to manage for that tension if they grew up in one or the other? Here's the way I approach that. Circa 2022, exploit is a dead end. And all the strategy people in the audience knows that. The future is not today. The future is something to do with how you explore. 
like how we reinvent executive education and how we reinvent the MBA program. And if you don't have a senior leadership team that is willing to play in both sides, as you just said, exploit will always kill explore. So my biggest added value with senior teams is to help senior leaders realize what you've just said. I've grown up in exploit. My career has been in exploit and I'm proud of it. And we're going to keep on doing it even as we figure out how to destabilize the industry for my advantage. That is the ultimate strategic advantage is where you destroy your industry or reinvent your industry. And you can only do that by reinventing your firm. Some leaders are up for it and some leaders are not. That is this issue of courage at the senior leadership level, particularly when you have a successful firm. I just finished two cases, one on Havas, a fine French advertising agency, and one on Deloitte. And they're both trying to reinvent their industry, Deloitte Consulting, both trying to reinvent their industries. And man, that takes courage. And the Havas case was a disaster because at the end of the day, the senior leader, David Jones, couldn't execute this. But right now, this reinventing of consulting is happening pretty well at Deloitte. So that ability of senior leaders to have the courage to both explore and exploit. And when someone says leader, that's inconsistent. The leader has to say, yes, it's inconsistent. And those resources you were talking about that the exploit crowd needs, you have to take some of those and give them to the future and deal with that tension in the senior team. That requires courage in order to reinvent the firm, in order to reinvent your particular industry. So what I'm hearing and what you're saying is I've heard you at least three kind of drivers that would lead a senior leader to have the mindset or whatever to be able to deal with that tension. One is identity. I think Peter Drucker says strategy is the answer to the question, what business are we in? So that's a big question. The other one is maybe a sense of urgency that the future will be different and we need to invest in these things. And the third just seems to be some kind of like mental agility of senior leaders. Are there any other drivers? No, that's it. And then, of course, the ability to execute, the ability to actually get it done when you're living in this world of tension. But again, I want to just quibble a little bit with that Drucker notion of what business are we in, which is the classic strategy thing. I want to hold that and hold that true. But I also want your strategy people in the audience to be able to push their colleagues around, like, why are we here? Like, that's to me the identity question. Not only what business are we in, but like, why are we here? Let me give you an example of that. I've already given the Ball Corporation. We're here because we do containment, and they're completely indifferent to how we do containment. I did this work with Children's Hospital, with Sandy Fenwick at Children's Hospital. And I was teaching an AMP, and I had a bunch of her docs in my program. The first thing out of their mouths in any one of my programs, was until every child as well. And I said, what are you talking about? Oh yeah, this is why we're here. What Children's Hospital is about is until every child as well. I can barely say that without coming to tears. What they don't say is our strategy in the emergency room is wait times in the emergency room. What they don't talk about is their fantastic research on cardiology or COVID. The first thing out of their mouth is until every child as well. That's why we're here. And I would encourage your strategy colleagues that is a more basic thing, is we're here until every child. And by the way, to do that, you got to do fantastic research. And to do that, when there's an emergency, you have to get to bits of the emergency really fast, is to anchor these internally inconsistent strategies, exploit and explore, with an overarching identity that holds that together. And oh, yeah, I get it. That's why we're doing these seemingly inconsistent things. Yeah, it's almost going back to your congruence model. You're creating the congruence between these divergent strategies because they both serve that bigger purpose. That's exactly right. There's a meta congruence. 
at the firm level, if you will. Yes. So one thing I notice, at least in my observation of explore companies versus exploit companies, explore companies have a mindset of shaping the context, shaping the rules, the regulations, the way things are done. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. For those firms that are proactive in reinventing themselves and their product class, they must shape the institutional context. That is part of the role of the leader for those kind of firms is for David Jones to shape the advertising industry, for us at HBS to shape the MBA and executive education industry, for Musk to shape the automobile industry. And, you know, if we have DraftKings, the leadership at DraftKings to shape the online betting industry, the whole notion of leaders breaking into new product classes and reinventing product classes, a good portion of their work is shaping the institutional context. And that means Washington, Geneva, that means the institutional context within which they operate. Because these frequently shift like, what is an automobile? Or what does it mean to do this advertising? Or indeed, what does it mean to have a professional service firm at Deloitte when a good portion of the assets don't work for Deloitte? I mean, that is like crazy in the institution. So what really strikes me is this identity conflict. And can you just talk to us a little bit more about that and how you address it and unravel it? In my experience in helping organizations live into ambidexterity, to live into innovation streams and the associated contradictions between exploit and explore, is the identity threats associated with exploration. So we did this wonderful work with actually Kareem Lakani at NASA, the United States Space Agency. And Jeff Davis, who was then the senior life scientist at NASA, learned that through open innovation, through the crowd, he could do research better, faster, and cheaper. They could solve problems. There's this heliophysics problem that they were able to solve in three months that the heliophysicists had not been able to crack in 10 years. The problem is that when Jeff introduced this to the heliophysics community, they said, what are you talking about? This is a pure identity threat. I do science. And what you're asking me is to go through the junk from the crowd and choose what works. That's not why I signed up. Or in this advertising agency at Havas, these genius, genius creative types, their response to crowdsourced campaigns was, that's not what we do. We do it in this integrated fashion. And so my work with leaders these days is around helping professional organizations deal with identity threats so that the scientists code exploration not as a threat, but as an opportunity. And as soon as they make that mental code, in Jeff Davis's case, it was here at NASA, we aspire to keep astronauts safe in space. Once he shifted that frame from doing great research on human health in space to, no, no, everybody, we're here to keep astronauts safe in space. That reframing permitted these wonderful heliophysicists to be more open to the power of the crowd as simply another tool. So that issue of identity and identity threat is, I guess, the hardest thing that I have found for leaders to grapple with because it's so soft in some ways. But man, in dealing with executing this ambidexterity and reinventing the firm, totally crucial. Wow. We could dig into that for another hour, but there's so many implications for that. I I see how it links to purpose-driven, multi-stakeholder and all of that, but we are reaching the top of our time with you. So I'm just going to ask you one more question, which is, well, I think you've answered this already. What are you working on now? But also, how can people learn from you? How can they connect with you? How can they find you? What I'm working on now with Charles O'Reilly and Andy Binns and my doctoral students is, so the research is around identity, identity transformation linked to organizational transformation. 
We have learned about executing this ambidexterity, and you can access it with my new book with Charles, Winning Through Innovation, second edition dish came out. And this book called Corporate Explorers with Andy Bins and Charles is coming out, I think it's in January. Your listeners can get a hold of me through either Change Logic or through Harvard, and I'll be happy to send them specific articles. Well, thank you so much for the work you do and for sharing it with us. Fascinating. I wish we had more time with you. I had a lot of fun, Kaihan, and I hope your listeners can use these ideas and plow forward. They will. They will. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of Outthinkers.